welcome to the Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast, where we bring you talented creatives who inspire you to reach your next level of personal growth. I'm Wynne Leon, and in this episode, I'm with my co-host, Dr. Vicki Atkinson, and we are talking about why we risk disappointment. We opened the podcast with some laughter about silly stories with my kids where I've made mistakes. And it paves the way for a deep conversation about risk-taking, trying new things, and the journey to be vulnerable to others. I share with Vicki some of the disappointment that I felt on her behalf when reading her book, Surviving Sue, because Sue never saw her. We talk about how she armored up from an early age with Sue because of the mismatch between words and deeds coming from her mom. But even through the low expectations, Vicki kept on showing up in order to care for Lisa and for Sue. So what did she learn about armor, vulnerability, and control? Vicki shares with us the wisdom of her toolkit for surviving disappointment, regardless of the source, by following her body cues and knowing that she can take back control. We talk about all the lessons we've learned the hard way, and that the takeaway is while it feels natural to try to avoid being hurt, we opt for continuing to take risks. We dig into the question of, what if I don't? That can be a great motivator. And Vicki turns the tables on me for taking on the risk to talk with my dad about spirituality and faith. I open up about how my fear that if we talked about those things, knowing I didn't see him the same way that he did, that I risked feeling like my dear dad was disappointed in me. But Vicki gives me the gift of a great aha, that positive regard that is based on assumptions, vagaries, or pretense isn't really regard at all. In this episode, we talk about how to switch out of disappointment by focusing on compassion for others. Risk, disappointment, vulnerability, big topics, but we have a feel-good conversation full of compassion for ourselves when we are disappointed or for when we don't want to take the chance, and appreciation for the opening that happens when we do take risks. Disappointment isn't easy, but when you know that others have gone through it and see you, it makes the trip so much easier. Please risk a half an hour of your time. You won't be disappointed. In fact, we know you'll love it. Hey, Wind. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon. We're getting ready for Halloween. It's all all good here. How about you? Good. We're we're making the move from autumn to winter in a snap here in the Chicago area. We're going to go from like 65, I think, today to we'll be in the 20s by tomorrow night. Wow. I know. Yeah, I know. you know, it's funny that Halloween comes right at this switch because it happens here in Seattle as well. Mm-hmm. And then, it's, you know, that how do I how do I dress up kids and keep them warm at the same time because they want to sh- show off their outfits. But I kind of have a funny story about that because I was testing out Mr. D wants <laughs> to be Luca for Halloween. And I was testing out the mm-hmm. brown hairs, you know, color that I bought him. <laughs> and 
So we did it. I did a punch in the front of his head. And then I realized, one, it doesn't wash out. <gasps> Two, I just put like a Just for Men product in there. <laughs> and three, it's picture day. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You did this like this week sometime? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Parenting mistake number 4,724. Oh <laughs> Don't do that before picture day. <laughs> um, so for our listeners, for, like people should know, fair warning, it is a Friday afternoon. It's been a week and we're headed into Halloween week, which, you know, for parents is a struggle. I'm sorry. It just is for all the reasons you described about weather. Yeah. But then in addition to what you just shared, uh, you know, about like tinting his beard, if he had one, right, with a just for men, right, on his hair. Before we started recording, you told me that you and Mr. D started doing some late night carpentry work. So considering that it also has to do with the top of his head, I'm going to force you to tell that funny story about why does Mr. D want to go into the backyard at night to do carpentry <laughs> with? Can what? you tell the truth? What What the, did you do? I have some deck repairs that need to be done and I'm and again it's this has to, it's seasonal. I need to get these done before <laughs> it gets too wet and cold out. Yeah. And so I started by trying to patch the boards of the deck and that so then I started replacing them mm-hmm. and the other night as I was doing it it got later and later and so it turned <laughs> out that these last screws that I was putting in and happened after dark. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. aiming to do carpentry work <laughs> after dark. It just happened to slide hey. into that hey. darker part. And so I put on my headlamp and Mr. D <laughs> thought that was great. So now he thinks that's how we do carpentry. So he waits for it to get dark and then he's like, hey, let's go work on the deck. And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not really how we do that. <laughs> But and then he's got the headlamp on and he and then he's like, Where's the crowbar? I'm like, Oh <laughs> Okay, wait. He has so he has his own headlamp. So he has his own no, like miner's no, hat or he's, he's using yours. Mine. He took mine. Oh, good grief. <laughs> so oh, I'm doing God. it in the dark and he's got oh. the headlamp. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys, I think I need to pop in and provide adult supervision. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, I, you know, the first night that he's like, let's do this after dark, I was like, oh, no, we don't do that after dark. And it was raining up. We don't do that. And then the next night I said, well, you could do we could go here or you could do that. We don't do we can't do both. And then like the third night he asked, I was like, he's not going to give this up unless I let him do some carpentry at night work. So I pre pried up all the boards. I pre got all the nails out. And then so that when he asked, I'm like, I got ready so that when he asked, I could just give him the little toolbar and I go, here you go. And it's only going to take five minutes. (laughs) Oh, oh, you are such a good mom. You are such (laughs) a good mom. I can't. I can't even. Right. But you said today in, in a blog post that as much as possible, Thinking about when we say yes, when we say no, if the kids want to play, you yeah. say yes. Now we add to that, if the kids want to do late night carpentry. <laughs> now, so the list is going to get longer. Let's play, <laughs> mom. Let's play. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny that, you know, we've, we've kind of started out on this um, very lighthearted 
topic yes. about how we navigate life and all the ways that we try to to not disappoint right. our children and mm-hmm. and our our loved ones. But I, we're talking today about risky disappointment. So I'm going to try to segue this because <laughs> one of the things that struck me about reading your book, Surviving Sue, was a feeling of disappointment that Sue never saw you. And maybe this is too much of a projection on my part, but did you feel that disappointment? Yeah. I Well, first, I have to tell you, I loved your segue. That was really good. <laughs> right? That was beautiful, going from something so, so silly to, you know, as you said, something that's a lot, has some, some somber overtones to it. Yeah. But I would say I've, I've received that feedback, you know, a lot from people who've read, mm-hmm. you know, wondering how am I really you know, and what was that like across, you know, the entire arc of the relationship with my mom to never really be seen or valued or appreciated, whatever, you know, word um, we want to use. And I think, you know, for me, I had armor on almost all the time with Sue from the time I was pretty small. My my intuitive sense, seeing the, the behaviors that were out of alignment, you know, they're there just was a lot of mismatching and a, a lack mm-hmm. of authenticity, you know, and, and kids, mm-hmm. I think, are masterful at looking at, you know, sort of the mismatch between words and deeds, right? right. So I think, you know, for me, because I had armor on all the time, um, I was disappointed, sure, but I had low expectations. But mm-hmm. I love when you pose this question to me the other day. Because the other thing that, to be honest, I think I would have to say is I think throughout my life with Sue, I secretly hoped that one day I mm-hmm. might be shiny enough, you know, mm-hmm. in my armor right. that she might see me. And so I, I know as an adult and, you know, kind of a, a grown up girl who's done her own stuff over mm-hmm. and over again, I see the threads of overachiever, overpleaser. Mm-hmm. You know, in all of that, because right. I still was, you know, hopeful that she might yeah. not disappoint me. Well, and what you just said there that's just so profound mm-hmm. is shiny enough in my armor. Yeah. And it's that paradox that we come to in adulthood, mm-hmm. understanding that we never can be mm-hmm. shiny in our armor. Right. Because it's all but, a performance. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not real. You're not, you know, being your core self, your true self. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. you've got your protective gear on. I didn't ever have a miner's hat, though. Maybe that would have helped. <laughs> <laughs> like Mr. D, maybe I needed more for my ensemble. Hmm, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But it's a great but, question you asked. Yeah, yeah. And then, but still, you kept showing up and, you know, you say that you had perhaps yeah. those low expectations, but maybe a hidden hope, let's say. One of the reasons I think you kept on showing up was Lisa. And Mm -hmm. you kept on sort of putting yourself in the line of fire of Sue's behavior to intervene on Lisa's behalf. I mean, is that a big part of your reasoning? Yeah, I I think it is because I've often wondered if not for Lisa, you know, and stepping into for our, our listeners, my older sister, 
is intellectually developmentally disabled and was born very premature and has kind of an array of disabilities. And although, you know, growing up, she was my older sister, you know, based on age alone, it was clear that I needed to be sister slash caretaker. And so I think because of Lisa, you know, my courage sometimes was in a, in abundance, because if not for me, I was going to look out for her. And sometimes when I think about her still, you know, Lisa is 63. Um, I look at her still and just go woodland creature, you know, mm-hmm. fragile, you know, so generous, so kind. But I also knew that um, when I saw Sue, my mom, who, you know, later was diagnosed with Munchausen's or factitious disorder about, you know, constant menacing intrusions into Lisa's medical life because it created Mm -hmm. significance for her. You know, I realized that a lot of that was playing out under the guise of Lisa needs care, Mm -hmm. but I could see you know, how destructive that was, Mm -hmm. even as a kid, because Lisa didn't have ailments. Sue created Mm -hmm. them and Lisa had to go along. Mm -hmm. So I think it wasn't just care for a disabled sibling, but I think Sue's kind of menacing behavior Mm -hmm. did tend to her own guilt. She was constantly trying to fix Lisa, you know, I think Mm -hmm. throughout her whole life, especially as the dementia and Alzheimer's surfaced it got very muddy for her. So I think, Mm -hmm. yes, I think all of that, Lisa, in some ways helped me Mm -hmm. to be a stronger woman. Mm -hmm. Because you put yourself essentially in the line of of fire for her. Yeah. Yeah. But if we back up for a minute and think about that wider picture of all that we risk when we try new things, um, there's vulnerability, there's disappointment, um, mm-hmm. and you, you could be risking what you believe in, your faith in, in the world. What's the wellspring that your experience, either with Sue or just mm-hmm. life experience, has? What's the, what do you draw from that helps you to be cautious but not immobile? Hmm. That's a good question. One of the things that's great about getting older and becoming more accepting of ourselves is allowing kind of the rewind, you know, and the highlight or the low light reel, you know, to be seen without filters, Mm -hmm. you know, and to really look at, at our life. And I think when I think about choices that I've made, I think I've often played this, you know, what if I don't game Mm -hmm. about thinking about, options and opportunities. And I think, you know, no matter what was going on, playing those what if games and thinking through possible scenarios and outcomes gave me a sense of control over the possibilities. And it was Mm -hmm. so much better than just doing the blanket catastrophic thinking, like it's the end of the Mm -hmm. world or something Mm -hmm. bad that already happened is just going to be repeated. And I think for me, it, it gave me a sense of empowerment Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's but it's again creating a balance between yeah. you know we could stay in that what if territory mm-hmm. forever and not move. We have to you know play the what if game or but but what resonates with me is what if I don't? Um, mm-hmm. It's that don't part that really resonates with me. And I think back 
to my conversations with my dad that I had before he died, mm-hmm. talking about spirituality and religion and values. And I was stuck not wanting to risk his disappointment. I didn't want him to be disappointed in me. So I thought I'm just not going to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, but it, if you apply the, what if I don't yeah. game to that, if I hadn't done it, if I hadn't risked disappointing him, I wouldn't have the beautiful conversations that we had and the, the gift that he gave me of understanding him better. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you write about that so beautifully in your book, but I think in the end, most of us are driven if we've been hurt to avoid hurt. Mm-hmm. And I and I think, you know, the prospect of you damaging your relationship with your dad in some yeah. way by, you know, asking deep questions and, and trying to get to those, you know, meaningful moments, you know, to, to really better understand him and help him understand you. Mm-hmm. That's a that requires a tremendous amount of courage to do that because I think a lot of us would look at that equation and go, but I'd rather keep what I have, even though it might be incomplete or not fully satisfactory because I can't ensure that if I I take those steps, that it will be better. It might be Mm -hmm. worse. It might be scary. It might be the end. I just had this huge aha about my own life when you said that because my sense of relationship with him was imperfect because I thought I had his, his love and his respect based on his image of me. And and I didn't want to risk that in the end, what I got was his love and respect based on real me. And it's like having, you know, Mm. a fake thing versus a, a true thing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see that at the time. I didn't see yeah. it when I wrote the book. I'm not, I'm just seeing this now oh. eight years after, oh. now that we have this conversation, but it's, oh. it's, if we don't risk it, you don't, not only did I yeah. get the chance to learn about him, but I got, also got the chance to have some assurance that he loved me for me. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, that's one of the paradoxes for me that in order for someone to see your heart, going back to like the armor, even if it's shiny and well-polished, it's still armor. Mm -hmm. So you had to let some of that go so that he wasn't just looking at what you perceived to be his view of you, Mm -hmm. but you Mm -hmm. wanted him to get past all of that, you know, Mary Wynn, the good girl, right? The good Mm -hmm. daughter, all of that, the one that was respectful always, but you wanted him to see the dilemma in your heart. Mm-hmm. And tell you mm-hmm. that it was okay to right. go your own way, to be who you are. But you couldn't yeah. do that if you were all suited up. <laughs> well said. Well said, my yeah. dear friend. Oh, my gosh. So, but I, I love that as a an example because you and I spend a lot of time talking about those moments of courage where we don't often give ourselves enough credit for moving through and doing it anyhow. And, and mm-hmm. so many things in life are truly, truly scary. Right. They are. And, uh, yeah. And, and mostly psychologically, if I don't face a lot of physical right. courage situations, but I do face most psychological barriers. They keep me from crying. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, and you and I have joked about this a little bit because we can, you know, that whole idea psychologically about thought stopping. You and I mm-hmm. know how to get ourselves in a twist, mm-hmm. a big, big old twister where it's out mm-hmm. of control and, you know, it's a lot of fatalistic thinking and all of a sudden it's up, up and away and it's gone. And, you know, mm-hmm. how do you combat that? And you're right, safety on a lot of different levels, but I think emotional safety, mm-hmm. um, you know, and feeling secure, if if you can find your way to that, a lot of other things become possible. Yeah. So talk more about feeling secure. I mean, what's your best protection against di- disappointment? Hmm. Best protection against disappointment. I think, you know, you and I share this as well, you know, whatever aspect when we think about the broad category of being mindful, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that is, pick and choose. You don't have to do everything, but but do the couple of things that really work for you. And I think for me, the the gearing up and preparing for the potential of disappointment, I have learned I need to do that for myself so mm-hmm. that if that upswell, you know, of disappointment might start to come, I have preemptively packed my bag and Mm. and I know that I know how to control my breath I know how to look at those visceral responses I know my body I was at a doctor's Mm -hmm. office recently and I said to the the nurse I said my blood pressure is going to be high I am nervous being here can you give me Mm -hmm. just a couple of minutes because I was scared and I could feel it you know you just Mm -hmm. pause for a minute so I think you know for me I need to remember that managing the potential disappointment in advance is like a proactive preemptive thing Mm -hmm. and a reminder that I can take control and if the worst thing might happen you know with that catastrophic thinking if I am disappointed by someone Mm -hmm. the other thing I do that comes so much from like mindfulness practice is just the reminder about breath Mm-hmm. And the the cadence of that, and that even with something as simple as breathing, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you begin again. And so, mm-hmm. I think the the shorter answer is, I remember to to really follow my body and the mm-hmm. cues, and mm-hmm. and to not beat myself up about wanting a few minutes to prepare, especially if it's something high stakes. Mm-hmm. And I think I might be worried or concerned about outcomes. I need three to five minutes quiet time and I might go into a bathroom, shut the stall. Mm-hmm. I might go to a far away bathroom, you know, to get away from people. Mm-hmm. Because disappointment for me is always in the background. I always assume that card's going to get played. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't always, but knowing that makes me feel like I've got a little bit more agency, right? What do you do? It's so funny just listening to you talk because I had this conversation with Miss O last night mm-hmm. about, she says, I kind of feel that all my bad decisions, I look back at them and I think that they're, they become good decisions. Mm. And she said a similar thing to me in the past, which is um, sometimes mistakes are amazing mm-hmm. because in the way they turn out and they turn into something else. We talked a long time about that, about but her attitude is sort of my default attitude, which is no matter what happens, I can make this turn around into something good. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, my default is that way. 
I've I came by it and I've lived it and and, mm-hmm. and I continue to feed it. Mm-hmm. However, with that said, there is that moment of deep impact to the body that I feel, and mm-hmm. I just instead of trying to numb it or move away from it, I've learned to to embrace it, to feel mm-hmm. it, to feel it all the way through, to write about it, to do something to yeah. honor it. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. If you think about Rumi's mm. guest house poem, you know, there's things mm-hmm. that arrive and you don't just slam the doors to them. You just yeah. you welcome into the house, you know, yeah. and and but in the back of the mind and my mind switches very quickly to this is, oh, well, we can do blah with that. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, this morning, uh, Cooper pooped on the floor. Had a, had a, he has a little bit of, of no, an upset tummy. He's been and doing so well. He has, but he has oh. this upset tummy. So oh. I, I'm not his not his uh, fault, I think. Yeah. And so I stepped in it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, you know, my mind switches automatically to, oh, I needed to change those socks anyway. Oh. And, yeah. Anyway. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> But, I, you know, what I love about that is that, you know, you added a whole layer of, you know, how we tend to our own disappointment is one thing. And and me, I do a lot of, like, proactive work trying to, like, gear up in the event of. But when you're a parent, you know, and the kids bring you things about decisions or disappointments or worries that they have, I you know, I remember it's been a long time, you know, since I had little, little you know, mm-hmm. kind of eight mm-hmm. and four-year-old around. But that's a whole different kind of agony mm-hmm. when you're absorbing, you know, the disappointment and the, yeah, it's yeah. it's a whole different kind of pain. Mm. It is. It is. That vicarious pain is, mm. man, does that suck. Yeah, that's it's hard. But wow, I give you a lot of credit. And and I think this is why you know, your mom has sometimes you know said to you that you're the caretaker. You are really mm. good, right? Mm. At, at pivoting in that moment, not being angry at Cooper, for example, but mm. going like, Yeah, mama needed a change of socks and you know, it's okay. <laughs> right. I don't know anyone that would be that gracious in that moment, but you had to change your socks. It was gonna happen, right? <laughs> right. Oh my right. Gosh. <laughs> Yeah, well, and then speaking of that vicarious disappointment, I've had to work really hard because I'm a I'm a problem solver. I think Mm -hmm. you you share this with me as well. I want to just get in. If if my kids are disappointed, I want to get in and solve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I've really worked hard to not solve it, to just listen to it, to elicit their emotions, to let them stay in that for the Mm -hmm. moment. So that they don't have to pack it away and carry it around with them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's such an important parenting moment. I always think about not layering on your shame when they're mm-hmm. already feeling that. And yeah, no shame. You you right. will make mistakes. Crappy stuff will happen. In your case, hello, Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you just you just need to go. Yeah, that happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Moving on, mm. yeah, mm. and Mm-mm-mm. I think the reason that whole th- piling shame onto our kids is why mm-hmm. we do the work. I mean, if, if you come back, if we come back full circle yeah. to talking about surviving Sue, I mean, you've mm-hmm. done your work, 
so that the buttons that Sue repeatedly pushed, uh, even through your armor, uh, weren't passed on. You you didn't have to make your daughter carry that load as well. Yeah, I mean, I sure hope so. Hmm. Right, I, I hope so, because I think, you know, every day we're a living, breathing example, right, of mm-hmm. trying to do our best. And mm-hmm. yeah, but I think, you know, when you were talking about Miss O, I think one of the other things that comes to mind is just this idea that culturally we can be, be really hard on the people that are trying and failing, trying and failing, trying and failing. And I think especially for some of the the younger ones, you know, social media doesn't help one bit, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because we we glorify the heroes and the champions and all of that. But the ones that are just kind of hanging in there, still in the game, you know, struggling, but they they show up to do it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm always thinking, how do we champion those folks more, mm-hmm. right? Right, the trial. So hard. Usually when I'm feeling disappointed, if I think about it, there's someone near me in some way that's mm-hmm. feeling same or more. Mm-hmm. And you can turn your energy and attention that way. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you when you were going through, because you talked about this recently, the whole IVF experience and kind of stepping into this talk about, you know, risking disappointment and not knowing the outcome. It's a, I, I can only imagine, mm-hmm. you know, the heaviness that you must have felt because you were going to do everything that you were asked to do, but still so much was out of your control. So mm-hmm. how did you take care of yourself in that process? It, it, it's a good question. I um, Doing it with IVF, it's so timed. You know, you have a, a, you have a day where you're going to find out whether mm-hmm. it worked or it didn't. And then even then, of course, as prog- pregnancies progress there's there's mm-hmm. all sorts of milestones that you have to meet but I I had a lesson from my dad which is I could do my part and then I had to turn the rest over to mm-hmm. the universe and, mm-hmm. and for me that recipe yeah. has helped me not take on more than my fair share of worry it was going to work mm. or it wasn't going to work um this is my part and this is above my pay scale. <laughs> I think, can we get like girlfriend tattoos that just say, don't take on, right? Say that again. <laughs> don't take on more than your fair share, did share. you say? Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Because we, some of us just absorb everyone's worry, right? Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. We sponge yeah. it up, yeah. right? Carry, yeah. You carry it along. That's why you have extra big backpacks. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Load it up. Right. That reminds me of the time when we were mountain climbing and I got an extra big backpack, you know, 6,000 cubic inches. My my backpack was what? huge. I, yeah. I don't know. Some I must have gotten this, it on sale, but it was so oh big gosh. that you could, you know, people would give me their stuff to carry, which you know, <laughs> isn't, isn't great. So I I had to learn to stop carrying other people's stuff because when you have a big backpack, yeah, everybody's like, oh look, you've got space. <laughs> oh my gosh, what were you thinking? Did you were you just thinking you were going to be like rock collecting along the way? Why why <laughs> would you <laughs> taking home trinkets from your right? But I you, think I was in the bigger is better phase of my life. Holy cow! But it moved me into the boundary phase of my life. <laughs> 
Yeah, look at her. She is a literal pack mule, right? Why would she have a bag that big if she can't handle the load, right? Exactly. Oh gosh, I love I didn't all have of that. Any idea? Yeah. What was what was going to happen next? Absolutely, but I think learning how to like, you know, pack your own bag, right, and take yes. the things that you need, and you know, and I also think, you know, whether it's the metaphorical trip or up a mountain. There are mm -hmm. things that we put in our, you know, we'll go air quotes, you know, our bag yeah. every day that are just like repetitive additions that never belong there in the first place. So however you take stock yeah, to just go, this is what I need today. Here are the things I can kind of jettison. That's mm -hmm. that's good work right there. Mm -hmm. oh, it's one of my favorite meditations that my meditation teacher mm -hmm. Deirdre does is, is take off the backpack, mm -hmm. remove the extra stuff. And only put back in what you need to carry. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you have to practice it because yeah. some of us will pick up other things or we'll just keep adding on our own, right? And they compound. <laughs> exactly. It right? does. They change. Right. And, they do. Oh, so my gosh. tell me what wisdom or encouragement you'd offer our listeners about how to summon courage to stay open for trying and vulnerability. It's, it's sweet of you to say, let's talk about this because I can only speak from, you know, my own experience and I don't, I never know what really works for anyone else. But I, I do know that trying to figure out what each person needs to do to be good to himself or herself, you know, in the category of self-soothing, because life is beautiful, life can be hard. And so mm -hmm. speaking of packing your you know, knapsack the right way. I think the the most important things that need to go in every day are those intentional thoughts about this is what I can do to care for myself. And I know people mm -hmm. have strong feelings about, you know, self-care and, you know, the overuse of that term. And yet, you know, I think people are are rich and wonderfully varied about what works best. But I, when I'm working with clients or folks that I care about, really encourage people to think about just in the simplest terms of five senses. What is it that, you know, works for you? Is it music? You know, is it putting yourself, you know, in nature, you know, feet on the ground, literally grounding or Shinrin Yoku in the forest bathing, but really make sure you've, you've packed and you have the right tool mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. yourself unapologetically. Mm-hmm. I don't this, know. Does you, that make you've sense? Circled back, well, you've circled back to the same thing that you alluded to when we talked about protection against disappointment, which is mm -hmm. you said, I, you say, I make sure that I've preemptively packed my bag. And, and yeah. now you're circling back and telling us more about what's in that bag mm -hmm. of, of tricks or of self-care or of, of knowing what you need to take care of yourself. Yeah, and I and I think it changes over time, you know, and mm -hmm. and we have to pause and and think about what we need in the moment and try to do that. I think the other thing is unapologetically. And mm -hmm. you know, you recently wrote about the importance of you know, saying yes, saying no, you know, risking disappointment with the people around us that sometimes are dependent or counting on us in some ways and I think as much as a lot of us like being helpers and encouragers and sources of support, the older I get, the more I realize there's a, a finite quantity of, of life energy and it's okay mm -hmm. to hang on to some for yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
hang on to your life energy. Yeah, and I, however that you know manifests and and comes together, I think it's it's important because when you're out of balance about that, that's when you know cranky Vicky comes to play, and nobody wants to see her. <laughs> no, no. I've never seen that. Oh yeah, you must she be comes. doing a very good job of keeping yourself into balance. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. As you and I often say, do the work. It's sometimes mm-hmm. not the prettiest mm-hmm. process, but right. do the work and dig in. And and if you're a lucky duck, you know, as I am yeah. with you. We have, you know, partners and colleagues and friends and family that that see us even in our moments that aren't too glorious, mm-hmm. you know, but love us anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and it's funny how that phrase, you know, doing our work, really then comes back to being able to to be resilient in the face of disappointment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and recently, you know, you you put such a fine point on something we were talking about and just said really a, a lot of of the threads of what we talk about and sort of this tapestry of concern, the things that we think about, we love to write about and consider could really be summarized best by saying it's the transition from fear into love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and fear is where risk sits and vulnerability and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding a way to pivot that into love, you know, care mm. for someone else, care for right. self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, what is simpler is a mantra than fear into love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that you've ended it that way because <laughs> that we've gone full circle. We're talking about how to translate fear into love. And I love it. Yay. Yay. Thank you, Vicki. I love these conversations with you. Appreciate you and your time. Right back at you. Mwah. Thank you for listening. Our music is composed for Sharing the Heart of the Matter by the exquisitely talented duo of Jack Canfora and Rob Koenig. For show notes and more great inspiration, please visit our site at sharingtheheartofthematter.com.